0: Thank you. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Thinking Out Loud. As always, I am your host, Dave Hallahan, and we are counting down the top five most listened to episodes. We are on episode number four. Before I introduce that to you, let me just tell you a couple of things. One, we are up and running on all of our social media accounts, so make sure you are following those so you can see when all of the latest information comes out about new episodes, which will be coming to you this fall. And you can also be subscribed to Thinking Out Loud wherever you listen to your podcast, because we're there. I guarantee it. And that will make sure that all the new episodes are downloaded right to you. And we are up and running on Patreon, patreon.com slash thinkingoutloudpod. So if you've been listening to Thinking Out Loud, since its inception and you feel like it's added some value, then I encourage you to consider becoming a patron of the podcast by going over to patreon.com slash thinkingoutloudpod. And for as little as $2 a month, you can become a patron where you will get access to exclusive material as well as early release of the episodes that are going out to everyone. Also, ad-free episodes. So, I'm seeking to make it worth your while. Last week, I Last week the patrons received an exclusive episode where I shared my thoughts on critical race theory and one patron responded and said this episode on CRT was great this podcast mixed with the references that you provided really pointed me in the direction to understanding critical race theory I know it's a hot topic in society I just wasn't sure where to begin learning what it is so thank you for that I'm looking Forward to more of your content and will definitely support the show. Thank you, patron. And if you too, whether you've been a long time listener or you're new, if you're excited about new material and you want some exclusive benefits, then become a patron. Patreon.com slash thinkingoutloudpod. Enough of that. This is episode number four, the fourth most listened to episode. It is my conversation with Mel Hartley. And a few years ago, we sat down and we discussed some of our frustrations and hopes with the church. And I think after the year that we just had, there could be so many more that we could add. Some frustrations come to mind, the way in which the church has failed to improve the conversation around race, around COVID, and just failed to lead, and has kind of just been sucked into the fears of this world. Uh, some major failings of poli- um pastors, Carl Lentz, Bill Hybels. Um, right now I'm listening to The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. And like the, these stories prick at my frustrations with the church. But I also have experienced many things that have brought me hope in the local church, uh, at in our church. When the lockdown first came about, we thought, well, where are people going to need Things well, they'll probably need food, and they'll probably need money. And so, we asked our people, if you are able to give uh, donations of food or money, then please do so. And our we had a whole room in the church that was filled with food donations, and we had a run ongoing account at our church that is for people who have uh, particular financial needs that crop up from time and time again. That. As we give money out and comes back in, it probably sits around like $500. Well, when we ask for people to give money, it has been ballooned up to like $7,000 and we've been able to give people money and it still has stayed at about that. So I've seen people come around one another, be willing to be sacrificial and willing to help those who are in need. I've seen God bring people who disagree together to uh, strive for unity. I've, I've seen these things. So there are many things that frustrate me, but there are many things that bring me hope as well. And so I hope in this conversation between me and Mel that uh, maybe you will resonate with some of the frustrations, but I hope that you're able to resonate with the hope as well. So here's my conversation with Mel Hartley on our frustrations and hopes with the church. It's so individ- individualistic individual i'm struggling with this word this yeah. individual. man i'm gonna say it right <laughs> on the first try one time all right i'm here with melanie hartley and i will never call her that again she is mel mel how are you doing today
1: i am well thank you thanks Good? for having me here
0: yeah no problem glad to have you here and fresh off of what i assume is like one of the best moments of your life you saw, it was pretty good you saw justin timberlake
1: <laughs> never seen before it was very exciting it was everything i would have hoped it would, would it would be yeah he was it's just he's just so good just such a good showman and he did a little he threw a little motown philly in there okay, okay. it was very good
0: plays to his audience i yeah. appreciate that yeah he's he's quite the showman i i'm not really into his music not because i dislike it i mm. just whatever but i feel like i would enjoy going to see yeah him like, like it's, it's just, just fun yeah just a fun show it was very uh, fun I don't know that we'll be bringing quite the same entertainment value today, but we will try. <laughs> we'll, we will try to do that. Uh, today's topic of conversation is pretty broad one, uh, just the church. Mm-hmm. And I do plan on doing kind of several of these episodes with a couple different people, just talking about the church, where it is, your relationship with it, and you know ways that we can be the church, that we can improve the church, and just kind of covering a broad range of topics with the church. But uh, glad to have you on, today, Mel, to kind of get that all started. Why don't you tell us just like a little bit about your personal church history and experience with the church?
1: Yeah. So uh, it's interesting when I was thinking about this topic and getting ready, I, I had the realization of, oh, not that my story is super unique to just me, but for me, I... I kind of raised myself in the church. <laughs> okay. So so just a little background. My mom was raised Quaker, and my dad was kind of raised Presbyterian. Um, and I remember being a, a little kid and going to Quaker meeting with my grandparents a few times. But my mom did take us to Methodist Church. We went to a couple of different ones in Clarksboro, where I grew up. She kind of stopped going. She didn't connect with a whole lot of people there. I don't know what it was exactly. I was 12. It was right around the time my parents were separated. And... I was like, I'm going to go to church. Like I knew other kids from school that right. went there. So I went and like got connected with youth group and I, you know, stuck with it. Like I went to camp, went to church regularly, had my own kind of faith life outside of my upbringing. My parents were very supportive of it. They didn't have a problem. Right. But I was just very independent and like, this is part of who I am and I'm going to do it. Yeah. Um. And what's interesting too is. I kind of float through denominations. (laughs) I'm not a, like, born and bred Methodist or Presbyterian or anything like that. I actually, in college, attended an Episcopal church that I really loved. I worked for an Episcopal church right out of college. I now work for United Methodist Church, the second one I've ever worked for, Um, but still feel like, I really love some of the Quaker traditions right, that I've seen right. growing up. And like I volunteered for a friend of mine at a Presbyterian church. Like maybe it's a little bit of a pride thing. I love that I'm like, I don't like claiming one <laughs> denomination because yeah. like I see like the value in all.
0: Right. As you as you kind of share your story there. I don't know. There's not a lot of young people who would choose church. Yeah. You know? And especially as we look at millennials, we look at uh, Gen Z, like they're actively not choosing. Church. Yes. And you, at age 12, kind of made that decision on your own. What do you think it was that even drew you to the church at that age? Was it your past experiences? You said you had some friends who went to this church. Was it was it the the crisis of your parents separating? Mm-hmm. Where, I guess, what were the, the things at play that drew you to church to make that decision on your own?
1: Yeah, no, good question. And I, I definitely do think when I started going to youth group, it was a way... And a place for me to escape what was going on with my family. Right. Um, My parents separated when I was 12. And then uh, like a year and a half later, my dad got remarried. And so for me, I think the way that I dealt with stuff going on in my life was to separate myself from it. Mm. And so going to youth group and like getting that group of friends and those other adult voices in my life. Like, they were the, that was the group that really helped me, like, navigate all of that and have somewhere to go. Yeah,
0: it was kind of your safe place. It was your community, a place that you could belong, and even a place that was, like, reliable and maybe a little more steady than, like, home was or whatever. Because now you work for a church, you work with uh, teens Mm and in youth ministry. Does your work kind of reflect your experience that you want to provide that for those teens? Is that kind of what, at least part of what led you in that direction?
1: Absolutely. I would say the the most important thing for me is I, I want kids to know that God loves them, that there's a community of people that are there for them and love them. And it's very important to me to create an environment where they feel accepted and safe and that they belong and can have people to talk to to figure out stuff going on in their life and just get direction. I very much feel strongly about wanting to be that safe space.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's cool. And I think that's an important aspect of Of church of youth ministry because especially teens and young people but all people we're looking for a place to belong a place Mm -hmm. to be and we're going to find it right Mm -hmm. like it doesn't matter where it is but we're gonna find it and there are a lot worse places to find it than church yeah and you know our our kids are looking for those places and they're gonna find that group of friends that will invite them in that will allow them to feel like they belong that they're accepted and if we're not doing that as the church then we are necessarily telling them to go find it somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. A- apart from and aside from the message of Jesus Christ. And so yes. we, I think it is important that we are that place. So you had said, you know, kind of your time growing up where church was not very integral to then being tw- your teenage years, where it became more important, it gives you some perspective where you love a lot about the church there is a lot of the church that you know you can look at and critique and be frustrated with what is it about the church that you love
1: one of the big things that i I, when i was kind of making my notes for myself was i think when the church is doing the work that jesus asks us to do and i've seen that in my own life i think when we are creating communities that everyone is actually welcome Everyone is a part of the group and we work together to to do the work of God out in the world, but we're also, we come together to to worship and support one another. You know, the message of caring for the widow and the orphan and welcoming the stranger in and being a light to the other communities of people around you. Right. When we're focused on that, I think it's um, it does amazing things. I mean, I'm sure you've had the experience too, and I know I have, of people saying like, i had you know a lot of stuff going on in my life or this tragedy happened and someone invited me to come to church and i felt like i was really welcomed in and people didn't judge me and people didn't give me weird looks because i didn't belong there or whatever um and i think that's that's the really great thing about the church is when we're when we're focused on that everybody you know god is present with all and that jesus is for all it works well and it just does like so many good things in the world
0: yeah i'm Reading And it's right in front of us here. This book, uh, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, practicing radically ordinary hospitality in our post-Christian world. One of the things that she kind of is driving home is that need for hospitality, that to care for others, to love without boundaries. And I know, especially in in Christianity, there is kind of this idea of love the sinner, hate the sin. Yes. And Mm -hmm. she says, love the sinner, hate your own sin. And I think like that is that is such a a powerful message and a a healthier one, because when you love the sinner, hate the sin one, like we're trusting ourselves to be able to differentiate between the sinner and the sin, which is is a difficult task. And I think a lot of times we do a poor job at loving the sinner because Mm -hmm. we're too busy hating the sin. But what if we hated the sin in ourselves first? That idea of taking the plank out of your own eye before you comment on the speck in someone else's. And so Mm -hmm. we have some work to do on ourselves. Why can't I? I'll just love you and hate the sin in my own life. And I'll work on that and let the spirit work in you in your sin. And so I think a lot of that, that work that you're talking about kind of flows into that.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I love that because that reminds me of a, a, a pastor that at the church I used to work at, we were having just a discussion one day, like we were all eating lunch. And he was saying, you know, when I realized that for me, what like a huge part of like what following Jesus meant was I can love someone else and not be concerned about me having to change them. Right. Like it's not right. my job to change you. My right. job is simply to love you for where you're at. Yeah. When we when the focus shifts off of like it's I have to like I have to teach you the things and I've got to tell you all about yeah. what you should yeah. be doing and I just focus on caring well for you. He was like that's really like freedom in Christ to me and I was like whoa. Like yeah. it totally changed my my mind. Like it made sense, but I never heard it said that way and I was like that makes so much sense. It's amazing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and another thing that she touches on is like uh, acceptance and approval. That Mm -hmm. a lot of times people are worried that if we accept sinners, if we accept people, then we are approving of their sinful behavior or Mm -hmm. whatever. She just talks about how they're not the same. And we kind of we intuitively know that, um, that like we can love without accepting everything or approving of everything that someone does. As parents, we love our children. We do not approve of everything that they do. As youth pastors, we love our children. We do not approve of everything Mm -hmm. that they do. We love our spouses. We do not approve of everything they do. And like, we know this, right? And so we can love without approving of everything. And when you love, you don't have to, I don't, when my girls go to bed, I don't say, I love you, but before you fall asleep, like, I just want you to know, here are the things you did that I don't approve of today. Exactly. That's not, that's not what love Uh does. Uh, And so... I love the story of Zacchaeus because, like, Zacchaeus is the worst of the worst. And, like, I don't know if we have an accurate, like, present day example of, like, how much we would hate a tax collector, but just, like, treacherous on every social level that there is. Jesus invites himself to his house. It's like, I'm coming over. We're going to hang out. And we don't ever hear Jesus tell Zacchaeus the things he was doing wrong. We just see Jesus inviting himself into Zacchaeus's life and then Zacchaeus saying, I'm going to undo everything I've done wrong. Like I'm going to pay back four times what I've cheated everyone. And so it was that love that changed Zacchaeus. It wasn't a condemnation. It was just an invitation to be a part of his life. And that alone, that love shone a light on the sin that Zacchaeus had.
1: Yes. Uh, Yeah. And I think it's so interesting you say, you know, when we, people who feel like, well, if I say that I, you know, if we let just people come in, it's like I'm condoning behaviors. Right. But I think you've touched on something important there where anytime Jesus had an encounter with someone who was quote unquote a sinner, you can see, like I think of like the woman at the well. Mm -hmm. And all he did was just say like, you've had multiple husbands and the man you're with right now isn't your husband. Right. And that's all he said. It wasn't this and you're doing this, and you shouldn't be, and whatever. And and so for me, that touches on we sometimes, I think we, when we think about condoning other people's sin, it's like we're taking what they're doing in their life personal. Right. And... Right. That was a huge thing for me. Like, oh, like that's that's their stuff and it's not good for them and it's not healthy for them. But the condemnation comes when I take it personally, like it affects me directly. Mm, And so then I feel the need to be like, you shouldn't be doing this and you should be doing X, Y and Z.
0: I love that idea of like I'm taking their sin personally. I don't love that we do that. But Mm -hmm. that picture, I think it's just so clear that we put ourselves in the position of God or the position of the Holy Spirit, that Mm. it's gonna be me who is going to convict you out of this sin, but what sins am I gonna choose? I'm gonna choose the ones that are most visible to me and most offensive to me based on whatever my upbringing, my surrounding my culture that I'm in. Like I'm gonna choose those ones and make sure you feel worse about those so that you fix them. Mm -hmm. Whereas I know that there are a lot of things wrong in me. Sometimes God is working on me to fix my pride. And so my, my laziness, isn't what he's working on right now. Mm-hmm. It's my pride. Yeah. And I can look at someone and say, oh, like they're living in an obvious sin, whatever, uh, some sexual sin or, or whatever, to me seems so obvious and wrong and they need to they need to fix that before they can truly be welcome. But what if God is working on something else mm-hmm. in their life? What if Jesus is calling them to himself and maybe that's something that gets worked out later, but that's not what Jesus is doing right now. That's not yeah. what the spirit is doing right now. And so. I think we need to kind of allow room for for everyone and for the spirit to do the convicting. There is time and place where we can call out sin in other people's life, but that happens in relationship. And yes. so we have to put that work in before we yeah. can actually start ca- start calling out.
1: No, I totally agree. And I I think too along with that, you know, God where where the grace I think of God comes in is for us to be able to step back and say whenever we act, we see people acting a fool quote unquote. <laughs> Often, I believe that they are reacting to whatever pain is going on in their life. Right. And so, you know, I see people who, you know, they're ignorant, they're rude to people, they're just mean-spirited. I'm like, something's going on with you. And so when you, for me to make that mental shift, I'm a lot less condemning. Like, I'll call it out and be like, you're being a jerk. Right. But not doing it in a way that's like, well, you're terrible and you should probably just yeah, do it differently. Yeah. It's like, no, there's more going on behind that. Yeah. And that's where I think we learn how to show grace to people. It doesn't mean you don't call people out when something is obviously wrong, like you're hurting other people. Right. But to be able to also say at the same time, something's obviously going on with you too. Yeah.
0: Uh, so I think that is that good. And so that's one of the things that you love about the church. When, when the church is doing <clears throat> that, the work of the gospel. Well, mm-hmm. when that, when that is obvious, when that is evident, when there is a uh, community, when there is freedom for those who are oppressed by whatever, by systems, by personal sins, personal uh, addictions or whatever, when that liberty is is being given out, uh, when there's care for those who are in need, when those things are are clear and obvious, the church is uh, and the world takes notice when those things happen as well. What else about the church do you love?
1: Like, I, I've kind of gone around the circle of different denominations and there's things that I'm like, oh, like, I'm not about that. And there's, like, oh, I really like that. But I think there's something in the traditions that we have in terms of there, you know, these markers of, um, I think about, like, the liturgical church year mm. um, or the seasons of the church year. Like, they, you know, some people may see those and like, oh, it's too legalistic and I have to, like, follow these certain things. Whereas for me, it's more these are, like. Almost like path stones, like through to help guide you through your year in right. terms of like looking at what is it like Advent and like what is like the birth of Christ mean and new birth and things like that, and moving into Epiphany and what is it, you know, Epiphany and, and Lent, like all of these things. Like, there's just so many traditions that I love that I think actually for some people may seem too rigid. But I think for a lot of people actually helps them connect more to yeah. God because it gives you more of a direction to focus on. Yeah, I just, it's so interesting because I grew up in this in this uh, kind of evangelical, free-spirited, like, you know, the contemporary, quote-unquote, worship, right, right. and we don't really follow these things. And when I got into college and spending a lot of time in the Episcopal Church, like, the liturgies and really looking at the traditions of each season, like, really for me, just enriched how I connect, yeah. connected to God. Like one of the things I love is um, in the Episcopal church in the right to Eucharist service, there's always a part where there's a prayer of confession before you take communion and the prayer that they use uh, in right to, I've always loved it. There's so many weeks and we did it every week, but I'm like tearing up, like thinking <laughs> yeah. about it. Cause there's things like, you know, forgive us for the things that we have done and the things we've left undone mm. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. You know, we repent, you know, for the sake of your son. Like just the words and thinking about what those words mean, yeah. you know, actually helps me get closer to God, even though it's this printed, you know, it's on paper and like it's been a tradition and it's been the it's the same words every week for right. however many years. There's something about the the traditions that have come up throughout the church over millennia that I think really do draw us closer yeah. to God. And when we, fo- again, when we're focused on here's why we do this, it yeah. makes everybody feel more in tune with
0: their yeah. faith. There seems to be like a movement towards more liturgy yes. and more of these traditions in churches that typically that is not the case uh, or has mm-hmm. not been the case. I think you touched on some of it there, but like, do you have any other thoughts on what is it that's driving us and young people? Like, it seems like, like millennials and that's what they want is mm-hmm. is like a, a structured faith yeah what why I guess
1: <laughs> yeah no it's a really good question because it has especially in our generation the millennial generation uh it is more has been more of a trend towards going back to these more liturgical expressions of worship and faith and you know I I don't know if I can like pinpoint and a reason why I think because I'll speak from my own experience when I started college and started getting involved in the Episcopal church and just my faith was just changing I felt like the substance of what I was getting from like churches back home it just it felt very surface level to me and I you know and and let me just disclaimer that like if that you know type of let's go to church and like we sing for half an hour and like Jesus loves me you know 500 times (sighs) I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that like everybody fits where they feel like they should be and that's great for me i was like oh but there's more to the there's more to being a follower of jesus than just let me sing songs for half an hour about how much jesus loves me and then hear a message of here are the like five steps that you should follow to be a follower i'm like no there's got to be there's more to it than that because the human experience is way more complicated than just yeah. Sing these songs and do these things yeah. again. Like, so I think for millennials, for those of us who kind of grew up in some of that, there is this sense of, oh, there's like not much to this. It's like we're saying a whole lot. Yeah. We're not really saying anything, you know? Yeah. Um, As, as yeah. you
0: were talking through that, I, because I didn't necessarily have an answer to that question, but that makes sense to me what you're saying. And I think we as people, but even like generationally, we have the keen ability to look at previous generations and see what they did wrong yes right and it's not that like in reality not everything the generations did before us was wrong sure there was a lot of good things Mm -hmm. as well but we can see the bad easier and we hold on to the bad because probably because we want to think we're better or whatever um but i think that that movement away from liturgy away from tradition uh, was probably a good thing mm-hmm. for for our parents for generations before and like you're saying there are people who still can meet jesus there right absolutely but i not to pick on catholics at all um but that seems like the like the stereotypical, like, while I was a choir boy, I knew all the right things to say. I knew when to stand up, when to sit down, when to kneel. I knew what to do, but it was all empty. There was nothing. Yeah. There was nothing there. And so there's this movement away from it to there has to be more than just yes. memorizing the right things to say, yes. memorizing when to stand up, sit down. And so there's this drastic sw- uh, shift away from all of that to I need to experience this for myself, not take someone else. But then I think we have the season where that is kind of the mode in which evangelical Christianity has existed, that it's just this feeling. And I think then it becomes (laughs) about spectator that, well, now I'm just coming and I'm watching this band play. I'm listening to this guy or this woman preach at me about this thing. And like, what, what about me? Like, what does this have to do with me? Whereas liturgy, even if it's the same every week, like I am now participating, I'm an active participant in this yeah and like in the Episcopal Church where there is uh communion every week I I can hear in my own head but in other people saying oh well, every week it loses its specialness or whatever but it also it reorients why I'm here right yeah. I'm not here to listen to a 35 minute sermon I'm here to partake of the body of, and blood of Christ, yes to to remind myself of the sacrifice that has been given and then to go and be the body of Christ when I leave this place, th- that yeah. there is a participatory aspect to it that is helpful. And so I think these shifts are probably natural mm-hmm. and a response to the previous shift.
1: I think, too, just because you, you mentioned the commune thing and I'm as communion and Eucharist is something that in the last few years of my life has been a very focal point of my of how I engage in worship and faith. It's just been very, very meaningful to me. It's funny, like you mentioned that, oh, but if you do it every week, then it loses its its specialness or its meaningfulness. And I think that that is a valid argument. And then I turn on the other side of that and I say, for me, doing it every week solidifies what it means. Because if communion is just about, I'm going to go up and it's a reminder of how much Jesus loves me, after a while, to me, that gets old. Whereas like, when I think about the whole church partakes in, you know, this sacrament every week. It's a communal thing. It's we as a body of Christ, young and old, are participating in an event that also connects us to saints and believers of the past Mm -hmm. and saints and believers that are to come after us. Like there, it, it, like, there's like a break in the time space and continuum where we're all participating in this thing together at the same time. And that to me is a transcendent spiritual experience. I'm just, I get so jazzed about (laughs) communion. I'm such a nerd. (laughs) (laughs) No,
0: that's cool. That's awesome. And I think there's something to that too. Even just this, maybe this is optimism that is misplaced, but in, millennials and younger generations there does seem to be a stirring away from individualism yeah and whereas you know i think of of like my dad who really is like i mean he's he's self-made you know like he he owned his own business he didn't graduate or he didn't go to college like then started his own business as a construction worker, like worked hard, like, and then has a family that, uh, four boys that he, he supported. And, and, you know, so him and my mom, they did that together. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of, you could say that's the American dream, right. To like, to work hard and then to make a life for yourself. And it's about the individual. And I think the American church has really grabbed on to that. I heard mm-hmm. someone recently say that like, especially white evangelicals are kind of the ideal Christians in that it is or are the ideal Americans rather Mm -hmm. because it is it's so individualistic that it's about personal responsibility and personal choice whereas Mm -hmm. I think and again just like we said about how church is done in different ways like there is good in that Mm -hmm. but If that's all there is, then we lose a lot of what God has called us to in unity, to be the body of Christ, to bear one another's burdens, to rejoice when my brother or sister rejoices, to weep when they weep, to, you know, to view ourselves as one body and to work towards that unity. And so I think that how you nerd out about communion. But that is that's seeing something bigger than just me, that Jesus is there truth to jesus would have died for just me yes but he didn't he died for for god so loved the world right yeah and so there i am not the only one partaking of communion yes this body was broken for me but not just for me Yes. and so i am taking part in this with everyone and so i think like this is something that makes me hopeful for the church is that we are we can move away from this is about me to this is about the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Yes. And the body of Christ is bigger than me, that we are all I am just a small part of the body, but we are the body of Christ. And so this is a bigger thing than just me. So I think some of that shifting and some of, you know, even you're nerding out about <laughs> communion is is some of that that we're we see the fall, the downfall of this individualistic uh, <laughs> Christianity, and we're moving to a more communion or community-centered uh, Christianity. Yes.
1: Whew, Dave, we have a church in here. We
0: are. All right. We are. Um, I'm going to have to turn down the heat, actually. Uh, you kind of chose to be in the church, right? You could have left. Yeah. But you're here still. Yeah. And so we've, we've heard <laughs> the things that you love, but what are some of the things that frustrate you? Mm. Some of the things that you're like, Man, like this is what I'm a part of can't we be doing this better what are some of those things that kind of eat and grind at you
1: yeah it's so funny you say that cuz I gotta t- I gotta be honest I've had a few times Over the last, you know, over the years of just being like, you know, maybe it's time to like get out of this. Because this is like, (laughs) because you do, you just get weighed down by like it's frustrated and what are we doing? And yeah. Yeah. So what I see happening is the system and the way in which we quote unquote do our faith becomes more important than what the faith is actually supposed to be about. Mm. So to to expound on that a little bit, if I just put it frankly, I think we make scripture our God. I think we make Jesus, we make these things idols, and and listen, like I think most people are really well intentioned, and that is not their goal at all. I, I think for me, it boils down to, and like, and I'm gonna get myself in trouble, but it's fine. If I'm more concerned about what's written on paper more than I care about hearing out and being with people in their stuff and trying to get their, like hear their pain and receive that and understand them. But I go back to, but it says in this thing like then I'm, I'm missing something. Yeah, Yeah. And, and let me just say, let me just say as a disclaimer, scripture is very important. It is a huge part of our faith, of course. And it is how we know about who Jesus even is it inspires us. It comforts us and can direct us. But I think like anything, we can get too focused on the a thing. Right. And miss the, fo- you know, we don't see the forest for
0: the trees. Yeah. I just talked with John Chafee. Who yeah, did you know. I did listen. Uh, it was yeah. Great. And so we, we touched on some of that there. Like, And so I think that goes back to this individualistic uh, Christianity <laughs> that if I believe the right things, if I can just affirm the correct things, mm-hmm. then I am. I am a Christian yes. and there are things that we we should believe as Christians there are things that we put our faith in but faith without works is dead right? yeah that's in the Bible yeah. and so if we're not out there getting to know people and pointing them to Christ then then what are we doing there are times where Jesus draws away from the crowds where he leaves True. his disciples yeah. behind and his faith is done in solitude. Yeah. But that's not the gospel, right? When we read the four gospels, it's not like four books of Jesus went and prayed. Yeah. Jesus studied the Torah. Like obviously those things happened Mm -hmm. and more than what we just read about. But what we read about is Jesus being out there and doing it. And so part of living out our faith amongst the world requires... A personal faith as well mm-hmm. for us to do our work in solitude, to be in prayer, to be uh, in scripture and to be rooted in those things. But if that's all we're worried about doing, then we never actually do the thing yeah. that Jesus has called us to do. Yeah. We're, we never do the thing we've prepared ourselves to yes. to go and do. Yeah. Um, so what about the formula of church? Could we be doing better?
1: It's revisioning. How we are, you know, doing community and doing church together, and this just sparked for me. I think something that our the pastor at the church where I'm at now is really trying to focus on is more laity involvement. Yeah. So again, it goes back to that community piece of we are all responsible to maintain this community and maintain what we're doing. Right. And I think something that has tr- has happened, you know, over many many years, um, in the past is the pastor becomes the like the pastor is the leader. Yeah. And the leader in the sense of they do all the stuff and make sure all the things at the church happen, but also that's my that's the person that has the answers. Right. That's instead of, you know, yes, you want to have like an inspired, you know, voice and a, a leader in part of these discussions or these events, but it's more are we all coming together and trying to work together on this right. instead of looking to the person to tell us what to do yeah yeah um i went to this great conference at princeton seminary and the presentation was about when the reformation happened the goal was we've got to get rid of like the stained glass and we've got to get rid of the statues because we don't worship idols anymore all we all we need is faith and that's that's the symbol our faith and our our um how we live that out like that's the symbol of what being a christian means right. and talked about how churches actually changed the walls became whiter yeah, yeah. but then what you see happening over time is the pulpit becomes the focal point right. and he wrapped it all up by saying so we traded in one quote you know one idol in terms of if you want to look at the statues and these certain things we do and we traded in for another which is idolizing the pastor in the right. pulpit yeah and i was like it was like a bomb dropped off in my brain like Oh no, we do that. Like, we did that. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. and again, like, you know, it's not that the role of the pastor is bad. It's not that, you know, how we pray um, and what role the saints play. None of those things are bad. Right. But again, it's that have we elevated one thing over another? Yeah.
0: We need to be better. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, we, the, the Spirit of God is in me, is in you, is in each believer. Yes. And so, there is obvious biblical reasons for church for gathering together Mm -hmm. and when you gather large numbers of people together you need organization and therefore you need organizers and you need people in specific roles but the way that we have done church necessarily elevates the person who's in front yeah i love our pastor and but i think he has recognized that to continue to grow in this way is not healthy that it necessarily because he's up there most weeks it necessarily becomes about him and that's not what it doesn't matter who the him or the her is yes that's if it's not jesus then that's not what jesus has called us to yeah so one of the things that like concerns me or worries me about the church is i guess i'll just say the polarization of the church and we see that in the world at large but i think That has happened in the church and like everything is politicized now. Yeah. Like we can't talk about anything. Like even I think to say from the pulpit in some churches on a Sunday morning that we need to care for the poor, that we need to whatever, like to, to say that or to say that we need to fight against racial inequality, that that comes off as a political statement. And a negative political statement. One that, yeah. well, we shouldn't, why are we talking about that in church? Like everything has just become political. And depending on probably like your state, your county, your town, like what political messages are okay to talk about and are dif- differ from church to church. But it's kind of like we've allowed politics to govern the way that we talk about Christianity. Yeah. And so how do we fight against these extremes, because I think there's a temptation to to dive all the way in, right? Mm-hmm. I think there, there's a book that I read uh, that's so good, and I'll actually I'll put the a link to it in our show notes. It's called Jesus Untangled, Untangling uh, My Politics. I don't know what exactly Jesus Untangled, and then there's a subtitle. But the point of it is that we need to untangle our politics from our Jesus, and we need yeah. to embrace the cross, mm-hmm. not embrace our politics. And I think that. That temptation is stronger or at least more obvious on the the quote-unquote right, the conservative. But that temptation is there for the left mm-hmm. too. Absolutely. And when we talked about uh, shifts, right? Yeah. Like the millennial generation, we could look at the generation prior to us and say, well, the, the moral majority, the religious right, look at that has shown to be bankrupt. Yeah. So we're all in on the left.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And we're... Democrats are the true Christians, just like we have heard. We grew up hearing that Republicans are the true Christians. We could swing equally in the opposite direction. I don't think that's any more healthy. No, I, I agree. So how do we fight those temptations of republican versus democrat or even like separatism like we need to separate from the world versus we need to assimilate into the world like there are just these these polar opposites and we feel like we have to fight between one or the other yeah how do we find like a healthy medium how do we live that third way that jesus talks about the the way of jesus how do we do that while fighting against the extremes that are pushed uh in front of our faces constantly.
1: I am someone who, a lot of the issues that we see as political issues and are like, well, that shouldn't be coming from the pulpit. A lot of those issues, though, have to do with the well-being of humanity. Right. And so, to me, I'm you know, there is... A degree where you can't really separate it right in the sense of po- we make policies around around how we're gonna treat people so you can't not talk about the thing right but I do yeah it's not we're not just talking about a policy about how to deal with this problem or this thing it's what do we believe around like how we treat other people
0: can't reduce people to labels right? yeah and that means that I can't reduce you to well you're a Democrat or you're liberal or you're republican, you're conservative, you're an immigrant, you're Muslim, you're black, you're Uh white. Like we can't reduce people to a word. Yeah. And a word that depending on where you are means something different. Yeah. Like you're a liberal. Well, are you taking that as a compliment or an insult? Yeah. Am I meaning that as a compliment or an insult? Yeah. Like that Mm -hmm. a lot depends. But we we reduce people to these labels and to these things. And God has called us to so much more. Jesus has called us to so much more, to love our enemies. And so, how are we going to do that? How do we do that? And I think there are probably like practices that we could like put into place. Like, you may not be ready, you may not be comfortable with like sitting down with someone you know you disagree with, but like, where in a safe space can you like find out what other people believe? And wrestle with it read an article from the other side and read it with the intention of what is true right yeah rather than how can I pick this apart and how can I how hard can I roll my eyes while reading this like read it with what is true about this yeah and and again to to look at things beyond because I think sometimes what we do is so we align ourselves with a party and then anything that party does is now the right thing Yeah. Right. And so it doesn't matter. They can shift on a top on a thing. And now that's the right thing to do. And that's not who we are supposed to be as people of God. Right. So how can we remove ourselves from this broad umbrella of Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative or whatever the dichotomy is and say, what does Jesus think about this issue? This specific one? What has God called me to do? How has God called me to address this issue? And I think if we're doing that that will remove some of the polarization. And this yes. book that I referred to earlier, the um, the gospel comes with a house key. She talks about this radical hospitality and how you know she's definitely more conservative on, on a lot of things. But she says we I my family is doing. All of the things that the quote-unquote social gospel is calling us to do because we're taking care of the poor in our community we're looking out for the widow for the orphan we are looking out for those who are oppressed because of this radical hospitality we are inviting people into our lives and so if if you are more conservative and you don't want the government taking your money and giving it to someone else why don't you give it yes. to someone else? okay right? why don't mm-hmm. you practice that and I'm I'm preaching to myself (laughs) (laughs) right now. We're preaching to this room and we're all like, yes. (laughs) Why don't, why don't I do that? Uh Why am I not taking my money and giving it to other people? Why am I not using the resources that I have and using that directly to benefit? Why, if, if you are more liberal, why are you asking the government to do that work for you? Why aren't you doing that work? Right. And so if, if we are doing what God has called us to do as the body of Christ, then Policies will matter. Policies yeah. will affect people and we should be educate we should educate ourselves. We should vote. We should do what we can to love our neighbor with our vote, but we should not be asking our government officials to shoulder that burden. That burden is ours yeah. as the body of Christ. And whenever being a citizen of America benefits me, I'll play that card but that's not my identity. That's not who I am. Right. We see Paul do that, that he was a citizen of Rome. And there are times where he's like, yep, you can't do that. I'm a citizen of Rome. And there's other times where he allows himself to get beaten, to be thrown into prison unjustly, because whatever he saw furthering the gospel in that moment, that's where his identity was, was in Jesus Christ. And so when it benefits the kingdom of God for me to be a Republican, I'll do that. Yeah. When it benefits the kingdom of God for me to be a Democrat, I'll do that. When it uh, benefits the kingdom of God for me to follow the law of the land, I'll do that. And when it benefits the kingdom of God for me to break the law, yeah. I'll do that. Yeah, You know, because that is where my allegiance is, yeah. is with the kingdom of God, not with the United States of America. Yeah. I love it here. I don't want to go anywhere else, Ooh. but... Dave. <laughs> <laughs> but I am first and foremost a citizen of heaven. Yes. And so that is the kingdom that I'm going to build.
1: Yes. Oh, we have a church in here.
0: <laughs> I asked uh, some people on Instagram. I'm going to throw a bunch at you. Yeah. And maybe you can be like, yep, that's the one. Or maybe you <laughs> yeah. have something else that gives sure. you hope when it comes to the church. Someone said that they have, there seems to be a renewed passion for learning and for uh, community. Uh, that church, when done well, is a place to belong, to serve, and to grow. Uh, someone mentioned that there is joy and peace from being a part of a larger community, the rest of the things there are things that I've already said. So those are some of the things that the people have said. Give them hope when it comes to the church. What is it about the church that gives you hope?
1: I feel like I'm having conversations with kids younger and younger about stuff going on in the world. Right. And how do we respond to that? So we had a, a Sunday school lesson um, and it was the the third to sixth grade age group. And it was a lesson about Joshua. and. Uh, when they marched around the wall of Jericho. Right. And the kids were, they were, the lesson was crafted around what are like walls in your life that hold you back, whatever. But one of the girls was bringing up like, yeah, like hearing about like, what's this thing about like this wall, like in the news, like what's Mm. this thing about this wall? And like, maybe we, should we be putting up walls between us and other people? And it just led to this larger discussion, this moment of learning. And she's in sixth grade. Right. They are growing up in a, a church and a faith community that is, gives them the space to ask those big questions and look at these big issues and gives them the space to really think about what do I think of this or what what do I know about God already that speaks to this thing going on. Yeah. And so I just, I'm just i just a firm believer in giving children more respect and more voice than we, we look at like, like you're saying about the past generations where it's like children should be seen and not heard. I mean, obviously <laughs> yeah. there's been a huge cultural shift away from that. But I think, you know, when you create those spaces for them to watch children and youth really come into their own and like think about like wow like not just like oh what a great person you're going to be when you're an adult but like the great you know person that you are now yeah, yeah in your school with your family with your whatever ugh just like yeah makes me so happy